Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. At Home in Your Hymnal is a program. Are you ready for this, folks? This this is this is brilliant. This is a program to help you be more at home in your hymnal. What what do you think, Pastor Moline? That's a Christmas miracle. Who would have ever thought of that? Who would have ever dreamt up that? And uh, I'm not going to pat myself on the back. Uh, I don't want to hurt myself. But um, yes, we want people to be at home in their hymnal. And uh, what a novel concept. Back in the olden days, people had a hymnal at home. It was a major part of their family life, their individual devotions, their family prayer time and devotional time. They brought their hymnals to church with them. And through the years, that's kind of fallen away, but uh, we are a hymnal-only church, and we encourage people to be at home in their hymnals at home in uh, God's house in the divine service. They don't have to bring their own hymnals to church unless they want to. And for the last several episodes, we have been looking at hymns every Lutheran should know. Very subjective kind of a thing, but uh, we've been introducing people to some great hymnody. Uh, We've been looking at Advent hymns, and now we're going to take a look at uh, what some people would consider the greatest Christmas hymn ever written. LSB 384, Of the Father's Love Begotten. Pastor, uh, what's what's your history with this hymn? Uh, You didn't grow up in a confessional Lutheran congregation. Did, uh, Did you know of this hymn before you became a Lutheran? Boy, uh, it'd be hard to say if I knew it or not. Um, I know at least I didn't love it, or, or we didn't sing it in our Christmas programs. We, The church I grew up in sang more modern hymns would maybe be the way to say it, um, ones sometimes even that uh, almost edge on the edge of pop music rather than uh, Christmas music. And so uh, it wasn't one that was necessarily super familiar to me uh, until I became a Lutheran. The uh, experience that I have is uh, similar. You, uh, you may be surprised to hear this, but uh, I cannot remember a single time in my life growing up in the uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, at a pretty conservative, pretty liturgical Lutheran church, I can't remember ever singing this hymn. And uh, the first time that I remember uh, singing this hymn was at a symposia at the uh, Fort Wayne Seminary when I went there, oh, maybe 17, 18 years ago, went there and they had an Epiphany Carol concert Vespers thing. I don't exactly know what the liturgical name was for it. And I heard this, this hauntingly beautiful hymn, and I thought to myself, self, where has this hymn been? all my life. And uh, one of the great things about going to the Fort Wayne Symposia is I was always exposed to hymns that I did not know and brought it back, introduced it to the congregation, and uh, the people here at Good Shepherd warmly embraced it, absolutely love it. And it is a tune that um, may not be real familiar at first, but it grows on you and grows on you, and once you get it in your head, you can't get it out. 
But as amazing as the tune is, the theology in this hymn is uh, knock your socks off good. Yeah. Pastor? And it's it's easy to learn, and it, uh, it sticks in your brain, and, uh, you know, it's worth worth learning. The uh, the author of this hymn is um, by by my research a uh, gentleman, and we can't even get his name right because in one spot I have Aurelius Prudentius Clemens, and in another spot I have Aurelius Clemens Prudentius. Well, and I was going to say, I think it's actually Marcus Aurelius Clemens Prudentius. <laughs> okay. Which, so, which would make sense. I mean, uh, Marcus Aurelius was one of the uh, great Roman emperors at the time of the good emperors. Uh, he ruled over a time of peace. He was a philosopher. We have some of his stoic writings uh, still available to listen to and to read uh, even to today. And so lots of people are named after him, Marcus Aurelius, Marcus the Golden, um, at, at that time in the the world history most people just say prudentius and uh, then that way that covers all the other bases and uh, he was born approximately 348 and uh, died uh, we're sure of this in 413 and he was um, an illustrious spanish poet of the early christian church Pastor, uh, do you have anything else to say about Prudentius? Well, I think it's really interesting that that time in history, uh, there are the shift of art, uh, which before that time had been used to teach what is uh, good, what is true, what is beautiful, and to deify emperors and things like that. And so you'd have poems like by Ovid that are uh, about the gods and about love and things like that. And we get to a certain point where Christianity uh, comes into the world and it begins to influence the artists who begin to focus their attention on Christian themes. And uh, uh, Aurelius Prudentius here is one of those guys that does that. He starts to write these poems with Christian themes, which is a part of his job, too, working for the emperor Theodosius I. Um, one of the things he's supposed to do is to uh, write defenses of the Christian faith at that time as well. I think worth pointing out, too, um, he, he ends up working for Theodosius. Theodosius, um, and he dies 410, 413, somewhere in there, which is around the time that there was a sack of Rome, the first one that had taken place um, since in almost 800 years, I'd say. And so, you know, it kind of puts things in perspective. He's here at the end of the Roman Empire, at least the Western Roman Empire. In uh, the source that I use, the Lutheran Worship Hymnal Companion, on page 733, it says, Prudentius was born in northern Spain probably at the town of Saragossa. He attended the imperial schools where he studied the Latin poets Virgil and Horace, as well as law and rhetoric. He went on to become a lawyer and later a judge. When Theodosius came to power, he called Prudentius to Rome for a court office. Prudentius was impressed with the imperial city, especially the evidence of Christianity found there. However, at the age of 57... Feeling the vanity and worldliness of his official life, he decided to retire and began a life of seclusion and self-denial. His major activity became writing, which he undertook solely for the praise and glory of God. 
Uh, he's got two major works. Uh, one uh, is a more secular work, and the other one is a series of 12 very long hymns ranging in length from 80 to 220 lines for the various hours of the day. Um, some of his writings were instrumental in putting an end in 404 to gladiatorial exhibitions, and also he wrote a lot against pagan imagery in the Senate chamber. Uh, sounds like this is a pretty great guy, and we should maybe know a little bit more about him, Pastor. Yeah, and I think even uh, one of his famous works is called Psychomachia, uh, which is about the Christian virtues, which goes right along with that idea. Why why aren't they going to allow there to be gladiatorial combat anymore? Well, Christian virtues, um, specifically anger, uh, and uh, not anger, but the opposite of anger, anti-anger, um, which I suppose we'd call sobriety at that time, humility, uh, fight against those sorts of things, and that that's all contained within his ideas and his thinking. It uh, also reminds me of a uh, young monk who made a trip to Rome and was appalled by the uh, immorality and paganism that was there, and uh, really formed and shaped him quite a bit uh, with regard to the Protestant Reformation. It, it is interesting how that cycle continues where, almost like the book of Judges, people fall away and do things that are foolish and sinful, and then uh, God calls them back in, in defiance of those things. Well, before we get into the actual stanzas of the hymn, Pastor, let's talk a little bit about the tune. Um, you know, Prudentius uh, wrote this somewhere in the late 4th century or early 5th century. The tune that we have, one source says 12th century plain song, another one says 13th century plain song. We talked a little bit in our last episode with regard to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, what plain song is, but um, it seems like we've got eight, nine hundred, maybe a thousand years after the original authorship of this hymn, and the particular melody or tune that we sing it to. What, what are your thoughts about this particular tune and the process that goes on in the church before two are wed? Well, um, you know, that's when we have it written down from is that tune. And the, the difficult thing is, is that uh, musical notation isn't invented until the Middle Ages. And so there's some ways to kind of... Uh, record how you play a particular song, but there's not an easy way to do it and a uniform way to do it. And so it makes sense that the earliest we have recorded for us a tune is from that time and that it would fit into that style because that's the style that people were singing uh, and, and recording at that time. And so, you know, it is just one of those interesting historical conundrums where we have all sorts of words to hymns and things like that from the very ancient church, the very earliest times, but the tunes we don't actually have the ability to write down until much later than they are written. So could they be singing this tune to it all that time? It's possible, um, and it's not until that time, the, the Middle Ages, that we're able to write it down. Okay, excellent, excellent. Pastor, do you want to read stanza one of LSB 384? Of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. He is Alpha and Omega, He the source, the ending, He. Of the things that are, that have been, 
and that future years shall see evermore and evermore. Okay, uh, we've got just a little time before we have to go into our break. Let's start talking about stanza one, and uh, then we'll hear stanza one going into our first break. Of the Father's love begotten. Now, I hear that word begotten, and when I hear the word begotten, I think of John 3.16. Um, is, is that by accident, or is there something else I should be looking for? Uh, well, it, it does remind us of the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3, where we have a lot of discussion about begetting, uh, and in fact, I think that's probably one of the sources for this particular hymn. Um, it, it also, I think, is important that uh, this is flying in the face of some of the Christian heresies, and, and I maybe that's a way to say it uh, backwards, but the heresies that existed uh, tangential to Christianity at the time that it's written, where there's questions about, is Jesus actually begotten in the same substance of the Father, or is he a different being altogether? And and Prudentius, in the way that he's going to write this first verse, is going to answer some of those questions uh, to declare the true Christian faith rather than those heretical faiths. And he does it brilliantly. Let's listen to stanza one, LSB 384, Of the Father's Love Begotten. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We sing this hymn often. Not only, uh, I mean, it's kind of a Advent hymn as well as a Christmas hymn. It's kind of an epiphany hymn as well as a Christmas hymn. We sing it occasionally as the pericopes lead us into certain word imagery that's in this hymn. I love to sing it in um, just the common times of the church here as a communion hymn, a distribution hymn. So uh, we have we have found a way to incorporate this hymn in a lot of ways, not only at the season of 
Christmas. This is uh, episode 55. We're looking at LSB 384 of The Father's Love Begotten. Uh, we, we did quite a bit of an introduction with regard to the author and the tune of this particular hymn, a little bit of our personal history with this hymn as well. We, we just started digging into the words and theology of stanza one, and the nature or the source of Jesus, how Jesus can be the son of God and yet not a created being. This, uh, this has been the cause of many a heresy in the church, uh, certainly Arianism that continues on today in uh, the, the modern uh, sects of uh, Jehovah's, uh, Jeho- Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and there are a few others out there, too, that deny the divinity of Jesus. Can you think in of his a, fullness? Yeah. In, in his fullness, in his fullness, uh, a God, but not the God. Right. And so... That line, of the Father's love begotten, can you think of a better way to describe this mystery of who Jesus is than those uh, one, two, three, four, five words right there, Pastor? No, and in fact, it's the same words that uh, Scripture uses. St. John uses those words in his um, epistle. We have them as the um, Christmas epistle lesson, Christmas Eve epistle lesson, um, things that uh, talk about love. Uh, And this is the idea. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his only begotten son as a atoning sacrifice for all of our sin. And that's the same thing this hymn is Uh, teaching. This hymn is all about Jesus. He is of the Father's love begotten. And then the next line in stanza one, ere the worlds began to be. John chapter one talks about how in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Through this word, all things were created. Nothing has been created that wasn't created through the word. Ere the worlds began to be, again, in shorthand form, we have taught here the fact that Jesus is the author of all creation. Is, is that uh, reading too much into these few words? No, and again, it's uh, combating the Arian heresy that says Jesus is the first creation and the greatest creation and created in the same sort of godly state that uh, God is in, but he's not actually... God himself. He didn't exist before creation. And that's essentially the same thing that Jehovah's Witnesses teach wrongly today. It's the same thing that the Mormons teach, that uh, theirs is even more complicatedly wrong because they teach that uh, um, Jesus is the firstborn son of God, uh, who is also the son of another God of another planet. And this has been going on forever for a long, long time. And so um, it's important that we understand that it's important to sing these hymns still to combat these heresies that won't just go away. And it's always amazing to me how you can combat heresy in just a very few words. And uh, that's exactly what's going on here. That's To me, that's what makes this hymn so masterful. Now we're going to get into your wheelhouse, Pastor. He is Alpha and Omega. Uh, that sounds like Revelation talk. 
It, it is uh, revelation talk. Uh, Jesus says those words exactly about himself. And so, again, we're quoting scripture here, word for word, to teach who Christ is according to Christ's own words. He is the beginning, the first uh, letter of the alphabet, uh, and the end, the last letter of the alphabet. And everything in between has its existence because of him as well, being the word of God that uh, called these things into existence. And uh, that is unpacked. Uh, in the next line where it says, he, the source, the ending, he, the source and the ending, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's all teaching the same thing and reinforcing the same thing. Am I right? You are. And and it even uh, clarifies that even more with the next words, which say, he's the source and the ending of all the things that are and that have been and that will be, which again is quoting the same sort of language that Jesus uses in the book of Revelation. Again, the one who is and was and is to be. And we'll hear those words uh, every year on Christmas Day because the first reading for Christmas Day is Revelation 1, 1 to 8. Or am I mixing that up with St. John Day, Pastor? I don't remember. We've done so many programs here lately. I think that's St. John's Day, actually. Okay. Well, anyway, it's in the first eight, eight verses of Revelation 1, and uh, that that Trinitarian, when you see things in threes coming and coming and coming at you, that is all an allusion to the teaching of the Holy Trinity, and that will be specifically spelled out in stanza five. Pastor, uh, this evermore and evermore more. Um, you know, that, that sounds almost like some haunting kind of a uh, Edgar... Uh, who's Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan. The, uh, the raven that says, nevermore, yeah, nevermore. Yes. Yeah, so instead of nevermore, we have evermore here. Wh- what is this, uh, This ref- I-, I guess you call it a refrain, uh, because it's at the end of every stanza, evermore and evermore. What should we get out of those two words? Well, it's telling us again about Jesus, that uh, he is going to exist for always and forever. Um, and uh, that's exactly the idea it's trying to bring across. And that, again, teaches us who he is as God himself in the flesh. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, Pastor, do you want to read stanza two? Oh, the birth forever blessed, when the virgin, full of grace, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bore the Savior of our race, and the babe, the world's redeemer, first revealed his sacred face evermore and evermore. You know, I get shivers up my spine as you read that stanza, Pastor. I, my voice has that effect on people. <laughs> yeah, it has nothing to do with your voice. It has, uh, or or your uh, girlish figure. Uh, now that you've uh, dropped twelve pounds or whatever you're bragging about, um, the the compact theology of Christmas in stanza two, in just a few words, has has uh, just exploded as we sing these words. In case you you were wondering after stanza one, who Prudentius is writing about, uh, we get it right here in stanza two. Oh, that birth forever blessed. Okay, so now we're talking about a human birth. We're talking about a human birth the f- of the Father's love begotten. Yes, that's a Uh, divinity otherworldly and now we have the incarnation being taught to us oh that birth forever blessed when the virgin 
full of grace. Can there be any doubt that this is talking about the birth of Jesus and the fact that his birth is unlike any other birth in that it is a virgin birth? I mean, it's very clear that that's the case. And in fact, I'd say it's even quoting again, right from the words of Scripture, uh, the Gospel of St. Luke. And those are the words that the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary when he shows up and tells her that she's going to bear a child who's going to be the Savior. Uh, when he shows up, he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, and that's the same sort of phrase here that we have here when it says, uh, The virgin full of grace. Uh, you'll see this come out in that particular translation, like, for example, in the Hail Marys that the Catholic Church prays, um, that's the same language there, and it's taken from Scripture, um, and that's the source. Okay, so uh, we have, uh, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, again, Pastor, this mystery of the incarnation. We've got the Annunciation, we've got the Virgin Birth, we've got all of this just packed into a handful of words here. The fact that Mary's a virgin and that Jesus is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, so what? What does that mean for me as a Christian or Christianity in general? Well, it's it's important to understand that, and it, again, is quoting Luke chapter 1, verse 35, um, and it's important to understand because it teaches us that uh, Jesus' Father is not a human Father, but rather a divine Father, um, God the Father, in fact, and that uh, there's not some sort of mix-up or misunderstanding here in the Christian Church, uh, but rather that it is God in the flesh who dies on the cross to forgive us our sins. The fact that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, assures me that Jesus is without sin. you got a regular father. I know him. I know him well. I've got a regular father. He died when I was eight. As wonderful as our fathers are and were, they're sinners, and they passed on that sin to us. But the fact that Jesus is the sinless one really sets the stage for the next line. Bore, uh, let's see, the Holy Ghost conceiving, bore the Savior of our race. Mary the Virgin, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bears a child, and this child is the Savior of our race. Uh We've had a lot of race talk, a lot of racism kind of stuff. What are we talking about here, Pastor? Is Jesus the Savior only for white people? No, um, that's actually a misunderstanding. There's only one race of people, and we're all the same race. In fact, humanity, humanity would be the way we say it today, humankind. Um, you know, sure, we have uh, different ethnicities, but ethnicity is not the same thing as race, uh, and uh, it's ignorance that uh, our, our failure to understand the language uh, that leads us to using words like racism and things like that. We are one race. It doesn't matter if you're African in your origin or if you're Asian in your origin or if you're European in your origin or Indian in your uh, origin. We're all one race, and Jesus is the Savior for all of us. Amen, amen, amen. That's the message we need to hear. Uh, and the babe, the world's redeemer, a savior of our race. We've got objective justification, at least alluded to, if not clearly taught. 
first revealed his sacred face. We have a little uh, epiphany, revelation kind of talk here as well. And the fact that this baby born of the Virgin Mary is holy, his sacred face. Uh, As we head into break number two, let's listen now to stanza two of the Father's Love Begotten. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. This is episode 55. We are looking at LSB 384 of the Father's Love Begotten. Whenever you're listening to this hymn or this particular program or uh, this episode of this program, know that um, we uh, as pastors and we as a congregation, we as the radio station KNNALP 95.7, wish you a Merry Christmas, not only on Christmas or during the Christmas season, but each and every day throughout the year, because God's gift, God's gift of a a Savior, God's miracle of the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is for all people each and every day of the year. Pastor, you want to add anything to that? No, just uh, what a great blessing to see our Lord Jesus Christ come into the human flesh to die for us and to raise from the dead to guarantee us that this world and all its struggles and sufferings are not our end, but rather that uh, uh, where he has been, we will go also, and where he is, we shall be forever. Amen, amen, amen. And uh, we we uh, listened to stanza three of, of the Father's love begotten when we came back from our uh, break. And uh, Pastor, do you want to read those words and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about them a little bit? Yeah, stanza three. Stanza three. This is he whom seers in old time chanted of with one accord, whom the voices of the prophets promised in their faithful word. Now he shines the long expected. Let creation praise its Lord evermore and evermore. Now to me, stanza three is the Advent stanza. It's the, uh, it's the one that uh, teaches us ever so clearly that 
the gift of Jesus, the virgin birth, the uh, all all the Christmas things that we celebrate, the incarnation is clearly taught in all of scripture, clearly predicted through the prophets, through the pages of the Old Testament. This is he whom seers in old time. Pastor, what's a seer? S-E-E-R. Well, this is talking about prophets, but of course it's doing it poetically, and so we're using the word seer here. But what we're saying is that uh, all those people in the Old Testament times who wrote the books of the Old Testament were promised and trusting that promise that God was going to send a Savior. And so they recorded words in the Old Testament scriptures that all of one accord pointed us forward to Jesus Christ. So... Uh, the next line is all these prophets, these seers, chanted with one accord. They chanted of him, this uh, this Jesus. So again, using poetic language, Pastor, did they actually chant it? Um, well, in some cases they did. In in some cases it was just spoken. In some cases it was preached. Uh, in all cases it's recorded for us in Scripture. And so uh, the idea of chanting here, I think, is bringing across the idea that they're all saying the same thing together. And and that's what we need to take from that. And I, I th- that is uh, very, very much highlighted. I'm glad you said that because they chanted with one accord. Many, many different voices throughout many, many different centuries are all saying the same thing. Pastor, isn't that what's happening still today? It is. In fact, that's what we would say the word confession means. And so we in the Lutheran Church all say the same thing about Jesus, what the Scripture says. We say the same thing God says about Jesus. And uh, we confess that faith boldly in uh, our confession of the the creeds and of the uh, uh, the liturgy and of the services and the reading of the Scripture and hopefully all of our sermons as well. Um, That's the way the Church is brought together. The uh, stanza three continues with that same message, whom the voices of the prophets promised in their faithful word. Pastor, the, the phrase that I want to ask you about here is the faithful word of the prophets. How, I mean, they, they were sinful human beings just like you and me. How is their word a faithful word? Well, I mean, we have that uh, uh, quoted for us in the scriptures again that uh, uh, faithful men wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the idea that we're talking about here, that it is written by men, and yet uh, it really has its source in God, and he's the one who's working through these men to record the words of scripture for us. The Second uh, Peter one twenty one was the uh, verse that you quoted there. We can trust the Holy Scriptures, and uh, the Holy Spirit is the author. The Holy Spirit filled the people to preach and write the words that we have as Holy Scripture. We can count on it. We can trust it. We can believe it. That's not going to change. In uh, Toward the end of stanza three, now he, uh, this one who is begotten of the Father's love, born of the Virgin Mary, the Savior of the, the nations, uh, the human race, uh, now he shines the long-expected, let creation praise its Lord. What is this shining, and how does creation 
praise this shining Lord. Well, it's, it's definitely not talking about the movie starring Jack Nicholson. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rather, it's uh, it's using the idea that is recorded for us in the entry, the beginning of uh, the Gospel of St. John, where the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, we see that more clearly when Jesus isn't hidden in the human flesh, but lets his godness leak out, for example, in the trans. Um, not the transubstantiation, Transfigure. transfiguration. I always had the wrong word in my head. Uh, and uh, we see it also then clearly in the book of Revelation as well, where we see Jesus clearly for who he is instead of just seeing his humanity. The, uh, the fact that creation praises God, praises the Lord, reminds me of the passages, especially in Romans, where it talks about all creation groans in expectation. Here we have the incarnation, and yet uh, the creation is praising because we know that the beginning of the birth pangs is among us. The incarnation of Jesus is cannot be separated from the entire person and work of Jesus. Yeah, it cannot. In fact, uh, it's God that is continually calling the world into existence in Jesus, and uh, I think it even reflects the word of some of the Psalms as well, where let all the world praise the Lord, and in other words, let all the creation praise the Lord. Let all creation praise. Let all creation praise her, her Lord. Yeah, that's a Christmas epiphany hymn as well. Uh, Pastor, anything else on stanza three before we move on? No, sir. Okay. You want to read stanza four? <laughs> o ye heights of heaven, adore him. Angel hosts his praises sing. Powers, dominions bow before him and extol our God and King. Let no tongue on earth be silent every voice in concert ring evermore and evermore okay now i was going to say that this is a uh, doxological verse in that it's talking about praising god but we've got verse five that's really the uh, stanza five that's really the uh, doxological stanza here and so this is in a sense this entire hymn each stanza is building a crescendo more and more and more and when we hear this played when we hear this sung in choirs or by brass or whatever, many times it is sung in a crescendo way to each verse a little bit louder than the verse before. And verse four, you don't think it can get any greater than this. And then there's there's another stanza right on top of it. Uh, Pastor, O ye heights of heaven, adore him. What's going on here? Well, um, this is bringing several ideas uh, to our forefront. So first off, when we picture God in heaven, we see the angels gathered around him, specifically the four living creatures who fall on their faces before him and praise him, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, whose the earth is full of his glory. That happens in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, it happens again then also in the book of Revelation. And so we have this idea that that's what the heavenly worship looks like, the angels singing the praise of God. This then comes down into earth at the birth of Jesus Christ when the shepherds are out watching their flocks by night and behold the angel of the Lord appeared among them and said glory to the Lord and glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill towards men and the whole angel host is there with him. They're taking that heavenly worship and they're now bringing it down to earth. Why? Because now God is 
on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And so their worship, which was confined to heaven where God was, is now also here on earth where God is. Angel hosts, his praises sing, echoes uh, everything that you just said. And then we have powers, dominions, bow before him and extol our God and King. What powers and dominions are we talking about, Pastor? Is this something more than just the church and believers? Uh, it is, um, and this, again, then we have to know our scriptures um, to understand these things correctly. This is, again, teaching us um, words from Reve- uh, Romans chapter 8. I've got all the verses in my head confused here. Romans chapter 8, where we uh, nothing will separate us from God, neither heights nor depths nor uh, um, angels nor rulers nor uh, all those other things can take us away from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And these are then talking about the different layers and levels of angels that exist. And so we said uh, angel voices are praising him and powers and dominions fall into that. Those are ranks of angels would be the way that we say it uh, officially. And we we know that from places like Romans chapter 8. And that's what we're talking about again, heavenly worship of Jesus as he comes down to earth. I was, uh, I was thinking also of Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus... Every Every knee knee will bow, Uh, heaven, uh, earth, below the earth, all of that coming into conclusion and fruition there. Um, Let no tongue on earth be silent, every voice in concert ring. Pastor, uh, when Jesus comes again in power and might and glory, every knee will bow. Am I right? Yeah, and um, we see a picture of this already, and you can even picture yourself there because John sees you there in Revelation chapter 7 when he sees the great multitude uh, of those who have come out of the great tribulation and now stand before God, uh, waving palm branches and crying out with a loud voice, glory be to God on high, just like the angels did on Christmas. Amen, amen. Let's listen now as we go into our next break to stanza four of the Father's Love Begotten.
Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, episode 55. We're examining LSB 384 of the Father's Love Begotten Hymns. Every Lutheran should know, great favorites of the church. This is uh, certainly one if you're not familiar with it or if you don't know it, I encourage you to learn it, study it memorize it, sing it, listen to it often. The uh, the theology in the uh, haunting plain song tune is uh, just uh, mesmerizing. It just cuts right through everything and gets right into your soul. The uh, We've examined uh, in pretty good detail now the first four stanzas. We've still got the doxological stanza left here in this uh, fourth segment. But uh, I want to talk about a few other things as we uh, we get in here. There's no way we can list all of the scriptural references with regard to this particular hymn. It just explodes, like so many great hymns. It just explodes with scriptural allusions. The more you know the scriptures, the more these hymns come alive. The more these hymns come alive, the more you know the scriptures. It is uh, amazing how it works that way. In... uh, TLH, the Lutheran hymnal, it is hymn number 98. And uh, while there's a couple of words with the translation that are different, it is essentially the same hymn, five verses, five stanzas. The only difference being stanzas three and four are flip-flopped. And uh, it sings uh, just as well that way as uh, as it does in any other. In uh, TLH, hymn 98, the Bible reference that is listed there is 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. In uh, LSB, there are several Bible passages that are referenced. The number one is 1 Timothy 3.16, along with Revelation 1.8, John 1.1, Philippians 2.11. You've got several several that are listed there. Uh, LW, it is uh, uh, Lutheran worship, the uh, precursor to... uh, LSB. It's hymn number 36, so it's one of the uh, first Christmas uh, hymns that is there. So uh, it's been widely available in Lutheranism for the last hundred years, that's for sure. Uh, Pastor, 1 Timothy 3.16, do you have that verse? Uh, Why would that verse, of all the verses that we've talked about, why would that verse be the, the scripture verse that is most closely attached to this hymn? Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. In other words, it's a short creed which matches a lot of the themes and ideas of the hymn. Isn't isn't that uh, absolutely outstanding that that creedal verse in uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3.16 in a, in a wonderful way, summarizes everything that we've talked about in this hymn, Pastor. It, it does, and uh, again, I, th- I think I'd say this hymn is using the language of Scripture to teach Scripture so that we can learn it. And uh, of all the hymns, and, and we've, we've had an opportunity to examine many, many hymns in this uh, segment, but of all the hymns that you know have gotten like 8.6 or higher, 
One of the things that <laughs> he's rolling his eyes, folks. I just scratched a scab off an old wound. Uh, one of the, one of the things that definitely sticks out is this is not simply rhymed doctrine. This is beautiful poetic imagery that brings to mind countless numbers of scriptural truths. Is is that a fair way to say it, Pastor? It does. Uh, just like uh, other great uh, Lutheran hymns, it uh, brings to mind all these scriptural references which should be firing in our brains if we if we know our scriptures well. So like, wake, awake, for uh, night is flying does that. Uh, of the Father's love begotten does that. O come, O come, Emmanuel does that. And if we know the scriptures and understand them, then we understand why these hymns are so great and fantastic. Uh, rise to arms, let prayer implore you does that. And see, that one doesn't do that as well, and that's why it's not quite as good a hymn. I know, and we're we're not going to have an arm wrestling contest after this uh, taping. I promise you. But uh, I I like to take a sharp stick and poke it in the eye of the bear once in a while. So uh, here here we are. We are um, right before the last doxological verse. It uh, it clearly teaches the triune God, and uh, that's one of the things that I'm always looking for when seriously when I'm uh, thinking about uh, you know rating a hymn or whatever. Pastor, do you want to read stanza five? Christ to thee with God the Father and O Holy Ghost to thee, hymn and chant and high thanksgiving and unending praises be. Honor, glory, and dominion, and eternal victory evermore and evermore. Pastor, why is it so important that a hymn clearly state that the one true God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, again, it uh, is important to say these things because it combats the heresies that exist out there that try to take away from that. So, again, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, fake religions that don't really confess the truth. We could also put in there the uh, Unitarians. We could put in there, um, oh, boy, there's even some who claim to be Christian today that don't really believe the Trinity correctly. They say things like the mother, the daughter, and the womb instead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are false teachings and fake religions. And uh, as we confess in the Athanasian Creed, whoever desires to be saved must above all hold the Catholic faith. And the Catholic faith has the two parts. First, that we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, um, in three persons, three persons, one God. And then also in Jesus Christ, true God and true man who died and rose again for our sins. The uh, LSB 384 of the Father's Love Begotten is the hymn of the day for Christmas Day, a day in the church year when many, if not most, churches will be confessing that Athanasian Creed. Uh, Pastor, uh, let's listen to stanza five of the of the Father's love begotten.
That is indeed a beautiful hymn. And um, I, I'm, I'm almost at a loss for words. And if you know me, you know how rare that is. Um, this this has, even, even though you know, I didn't know this hymn until 20 years ago, um, this, this has to be one of my all-time favorite greatest hymns simply uh, because it it clicks all the spots pastor we uh, we do the uh, wolf Mueller hymn cruncher the uh, praise song cruncher i think technically is what it's called you can check out brian wolf Mueller's websites um the uh, five points is jesus mentioned yes uh, is the song clear <clears throat> yes uh, is the song about things that God has done objective or about my own emotions and experiences subjective? I mean, even the title answers that question. It's not of my love to God, but rather it's of the Father's love begotten. In other words, God's love became flesh and dwelt among us. Law and gospel, does the song proclaim the law in its sternness and the gospel in its sweetness? Yes, it does. Is there any explicit false teaching? No, sir. Not only is there no explicit false teaching, there's no false teaching at all in uh, this particular hymn. Uh, Pastor, I'm going to let you go first uh, on the uh, Moline scale of 1 to 10, meaning uh, with 1 being horrific and 10 meaning uh, absolutely amazing, outstanding, and wonderful. What are you going to give LSB 384? I'll probably give it a 9.38. (laughs) <laughs> and um uh i'm gonna give it a 10 uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna laugh or uh, i'm not gonna pull punches i'm gonna give it a 10 this to me this is one of the great ones um just curious pastor uh why not a 10 well i i mean it's definitely up there uh and it is one that is important for us to know and to sing uh at christmas time uh it's i think um there's more that it could say, you know what I mean, about Christmas specifically. And I think, um, I'm not saying it says anything wrong or that it's bad. I just think there's more it could do. I got you. I got you. And uh, uh, our ratings are 100% subjective as well. And so uh, uh, we joke around a lot, especially about Wake Awake for Night is Flying. Um, but... Uh, which Pastor Moline absolutely loves, and Pastor Poppy loves, but doesn't absolutely love it. So that is uh, that's kind of the nature of hymnody as well. And um, with regard to hymns that we would want to learn and memorize and pass on to our uh, children and the next generation, Pastor, uh, what do you think about this one? It, it should be towards the top of the Christmas hymns that we learn and sing and and love. And, and I know we kind of have some that are there because of pop radio and because Bing Crosby sang them. And this one's not one of those, and yet it probably should be uh, towards the top of the list for us as Lutherans. Uh, that and uh, hopefully at some future program we'll get a chance to look at uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which is uh, uh, f- another uh, Christmas 
his hymn that is just chuck full of uh, great theology. Uh, we need to bring our program to a close. This is uh, At Home in Your Hymnal, episode 55. We're looking at hymns every Lutheran should know, and we just examined LSB 384 of the Father's Love Begotten. As we uh, sign off today, let's, uh, let's hear that first stanza once again. God's richest blessings in Christ from Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline and from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh,